Anybody out there? Can you hear the sounds? Is there anybody listening to what's going down? Send the SO. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the Simber Dialogue. And the drink. Cheers to that. Cheers. Cheers to that ambient noise and the birds chirping like spring might actually be here. How are you? Splendid. How are you? It's, uh, we discussed this before, but it's just like time dilates during quarantine and it's day by day. That's true. Have you ever been in a quantum mechanics class? No. I've been in a physics class in which we would throw a tennis ball across a baseball field. Well, that's fun, but if you actually ever, you're in a quantum chemistry or a quantum mechanics class, you would know how much time can dilate. I don't know what you just said right there, but cheers. What are you drinking? Uh, just the old man's drink. Old man's drink? Ginger, Ginger ale. Oh, God. It's good for my digestive system. TMI. All right. So we've been watching Shit's Creek lately, haven't we? Oh, God, yes. Ew. Ew, David. Oh, my God, David. Oh, seriously. David. David. Oh. Oh, my God, my hair. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. We're, we're definitely not the... Not the right kind of people to do the whole valley girl thing what are you doing just putting my phone away okay we need to talk into the mic because yes. we don't talk into the mic our multiple listeners won't be able to hear what we're saying into the microphone i know so all right back to Shit's creek we're going down Shit's creek That's... what's that been like you know, I've heard about this show. I knew it was good, but I was like, I don't want to watch another rom rom com or whatever they. What do you call it? Those. What, what's the what's the what's the term sitcom. for that? Sitcom, right? Not yeah. rom com. Uh, another sitcom with just you know laugh tracks and family doing ridiculous stuff, but. They definitely have a lot of that. Yeah, but it's a very refreshing take on that. You know, it's. Something that they have not done before. You know, in, in a lot of other sitcoms, what you see is even if they are, like, rich people, they would have uh, circumstances based on their uh, rich surroundings. Or if they are middle-class people or even poor people, they will have circumstances which is very unbelievable. Like, for instance, in Friends, if it's, like, four struggling, four or five struggling you know, New Yorkers, young, budding New Yorkers, and living in the Upper West Side in a huge apartment, just doing regular jobs, it's something like ridiculous to actually believe in, right? But this one, this show, Shit's Creek, it has completely gone a different route with that. It has taken a super rich family who have lost everything that they had and had Except to... their ego. Apart from their ego. And... They have to adjust to the very poor um, way of living, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, 
mean, we're, we're in what season three, and you're already you're starting to see slow but gradual changes with the characters. Initially, when they moved into the town, they lost everything, but they were still acting like they were better than everyone in the town, even though they were quite literally living in a motel. They had nothing to their name at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been interesting seeing that interplay between uh, wealth or the wealthy and the poor higher classes versus lower classes, how they interact with the townspeople, and how the t- townspeople still treat them despite being talked down to. Uh, I don't know. It's been very enjoyable. It's not, it has a lot of social commentary. Who's your favorite character? Oh, God. Probably, um, I'm forgetting her name. Alexis! Not Alexis, no. No? No. Probably uh, Stevie. Really? Stevie. I love Alexis. She's like the, she's kind of like the outsider. She's like the us watching the family and the remarks that she makes to the family. I feel like we're kind of seeing them through her eyes. Okay, you're getting too excited there. So. Well, I think I really like the character of Stevie. I think I I relate to her sarcasms and I see how she's she's pretty much the reflection of us. She's gone to college but stuck in a shitty job, <laughs> taking care of her family, and her family, I guess, um, what do you call it, uh, property. Uh, yeah, that was her aunt's. Aunt, yeah. yeah. They didn't really reveal too much as to why she's even working at the motel until this season. It just looked like it was a job, and then you slowly find out that that was actually your family's business, and more specifically her aunt's. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice how they're they're they don't seem to be doing character story dumps or character dumps where it's like all right we're going to do a ton of exposition to explain this character it's like they give a little tidbits about each character throughout the seasons and sometimes it doesn't even need to be that much but it gives you a lot of insight into the character's personality and psychology and a lot of interplay between the characters, even the ones that don't typically interact that much. I know I'm being vague, but I don't want to ruin it for anyone who hasn't watched the show yet. Uh, what do you think? I think it's it's amazing to see how, when put in a different kind of a circumstance, you're, how you adapt to it, you know? Um, the Roses being the elite the super rich, even though that they are in the worst of conditions right now, they are still trying to make the most out of it. I mean, there is definitely a change in their character arc as well, if you see. Initially, like the first couple episodes, they were very much in denial of their... Circumstances. Yeah, and now they are slowly adjusting to it and kind of trying to make the most out of it and even in a way change their, change their way of thinking. Yeah. Every character is kind of developing slowly. You can see such a huge change in um, Johnny, a huge change in David, even Alexis actually getting her GED. Actually, she got her diploma. Diploma, she yeah. Diploma. Yeah, you got a diploma and then trying to get a normal job. Yeah, they've, they've really had to put their egos aside and their old way of life aside and try to carve something out new for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much that's going to relate to the average individual, but anyone that's going from one 
circumstance. Maybe they had a really good job, they lose the job, and then they have to readjust to a new way of life, maybe far less. This was an extreme example. You have Rose, uh, father, he had a whole video company. I'm assuming they're multimillionaires. Had a great hall in their home with this giant painting that they eventually get later on, and it's just the ridiculousness is apparent. Um, but uh, I think the lessons are still the same. It's like you just kind of have to roll with life. You don't know what's going to happen, and mm-hmm. kind of figure out who your true friends are as well. We've explored that concept in recent episodes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know, one episode that really stuck with me was uh, where David opens up his little shop and he has these really um what should i call it um locally made uh unique kind of merchandises that he's selling and it's very uh, i think the reason i relate to it is very much is that even in a small town he's bringing this uh, hipster new stuff to the you know something that people have never used before uh, and exposing it to the town kind of very similar to my situation where you know trying to bring in modern dance to Jamestown Jamestown yeah, yeah. or Warren you know stuff like that it, it's it's very much relatable for me and speaking of that it's I don't know. I'm, I'm sure this is intentional because it seems like this show has been very well thought out. And I don't think rural people get enough credit for their openness to different things. You'd think a gay man opening a little hip shop in a small town called Shit's Creek would just it would just fall through. Like no one would. Well, he's go not to, gay. Oh, he's pansexual. My bad. But appear, for all intents and purposes, his appearance is the way he talks. Most people just presume that he's gay. Even Stevie thought he was gay. And he explained, well, I like white wine, I like red wine. Sometimes I like both wine at the same time. To kind of explain where he's at. But for the most part, most of his relationships have been with other dudes. Uh, But either way, he's eccentric for the town. He's definitely a lot different from from the locals. But up to this point, they've all embraced him and who he is and... Apparently his store. We'll see if it stays successful. But it's it's a refreshing change from the typical content you see in Hollywood movies and TV shows where they just like to make fun of uh, rural small town people as being backwards or ignorant or uh, what other derogatory description you can have of them. It's, I, I mean, maybe some people will say it's unrealistic. It wouldn't be this smooth. But either way, it's nice to at least get it perception that not all small towns are these evil vicious places but somewhere where you can cultivate something new and something cool yeah i mean that's the whole point of um exploring right i mean think about it if uh well this can be a little controversial but let's see if the european explorers did not discover uh, australia or the U.S. I guess we would have never known that there is this huge continent out here, uh, beautiful, uh, and you know, venture out into a new world. Uh, it had its bad and good things that 
that it brought with it. Some people would say mostly bad. Mostly bad, but, <laughs> but also something good. Um, and, you know, unless you expose people to new things, they would never know. So you have to normalize new things, mm-hmm. you know, and this idea yeah. of openness has to be normalized. Yeah, absolutely. Like just giving them a chance, try it. It's like most people think of the major cities when they're talking about starting a new business or major enterprise or making it big. But oh, how mean, often do you see it where they're like, hey, why don't I go to an area that maybe it's up and coming, up and coming, it's not established yet, but instead of thinking, well, all the big players aren't there yet, why don't I go and be the big player to draw other people here? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, DJ, if you remember um, that one dad uh, who is very reclusive, someone who doesn't come out to watch anything, you know, any kind of performances and stuff, but mm-hmm. came two years in a row to watch my Bharatnatyam performance. Mm-hmm. And he misses his daughter's ballet recitals all the time, but he, he made it a show. point to come and watch my show. Yeah. And he came and told me that his wife told me that like he came just to watch the show. That kind of proves to me that, you know, if you bring in new stuff, people will get interested. You know, you just have to be patient with them and give it a chance. Yeah. And just tell them, hey, how much can you lose? Like, come, come see it. Come watch it. Come experience it. It's a hell of a lot more affordable for people to attend those local shows that maybe cost upwards of twenty twenty five dollars versus commuting all the way to New York City where you have hotel. You're talking about sometimes eighty, hundred and fifty, two hundred dollar plus tickets for a show. Maybe it's a one time one that's coming. Like, hey, if you can offer something in the local area, it's going to be a lot more accessible, a lot cheaper, presumably, and. People are going to feel a little more comfortable going to that since it's in their home base. Yeah. It's not like they have to go to somewhere foreign where they're already on the defense and mm-hmm. feel like they're being attacked every which way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that gave me a lot of hope, honestly. And I feel uh, there's a lot of potential in rural areas that people are not exploring. Maybe the pandemic will be the, the whatever you want to call it, the thing that pushes people into exploring other options because the cities, right now, right now it is not advantageous to be clustered up in highly dense, densely populated regions. So maybe people will look for other options. You know, I, and the, the, the funniest thing is that I in arts you always have residencies or, you know, these um, summer intenses. And most of these places are summer festivals. Most of these things are actually held in rural areas. It's away from the city. The reason is because you need space and you need to be amongst nature to actually think creatively, to enhance your creative process. If you are in a very closed environment with a shit ton of people, it kind of makes your creative process uh, overwhelmed. Overwhelmed, you know, blunt in a way. You really can't push through and think about something completely new. It's, uh, I, th- I think, the same problem with why brainstorming sessions are always the best way for uh, idea creation. Because when you're surrounded by a bunch of other people, you can't think by yourself. It's just not. It's not the most. It's not conducive to that train of thought. 
there's just so much noise. I mean, not just literal noise of vehicles passing by, but all the stuff that's happening on a day-to-day basis, politically, socially. Um, there's just so much going on. And then you're kind of directed in a way uh, just to think on the similar lines. Mm-hmm. You, you just kind of live in an echo chamber of stuff. You really don't get to, you know, form your own opinion yeah. or, you know, form your, your own way of doing things. It's like, oh, everyone else is doing this. Oh, everyone else is talking about this, this stuff. So I must do it, too. Yeah. And you're not really forced to deal with people you don't want to deal with either because it's easy to find groups of similar thinking. Though some people look at small towns as just being one cloister of that anyways. I mean, it. Uh, don't yeah. get me wrong. It does happen, too. There are cliques in small oh, towns yeah. and rural oh, areas yes. as well. But uh, I just think that there's also a possibility of going the other direction and challenging it. Yeah, it's definitely in the cities as well. And I don't know, I, I'm curious just to see how things progress post-pandemic in this regard. And maybe we'll be wrong. Maybe we'll be right. It's not going to change our financial situation at all, but at least we can say we were right if we were right, I suppose. Makes you feel better. Yeah. Every little bit helps. Now on to another show regarding characters who change or don't change. Better Call Saul. Yeah, we just watched the season five uh, finale. That's what, two weeks ago? Yeah. Didn't get to talk about it last week because we had a lot to talk about. (laughs) But, uh... So what did you think about it? Having a couple weeks to kind of process it and uh, chat with coworkers about it and watch some video content on it. I am thoroughly impressed and I feel that the IMDb rating of 8.7 is vastly underrating this show. And anyone that's watched Better Call Saul, I would say even more so than Breaking Bad. It's just from the cinematography is beautiful. They they think they literally will spend days, if not weeks, plotting out each and every scene. It's not like a typical TV show where they're just going to do the typical dialogue shots. They'll do the establishing shots of where they're at. Um, I I don't know. I I feel like I've just been spoiled from watching that to Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek has. I mean, for as much as I love the characters and a little bit of the story, cinematography it's just nothing. There's nothing there. It's just all right, we're at the vet clinic. All right, now we're at uh, Dave's, David's little shop. All right, now we're back at the hotel. It's literally the same shot for everything. But in Better Call Saul, man, I, I don't know if there is a consistent shot that they do other than the fact that they do a shit ton of wide-angle shots, even for dialogue scenes. I mean, you've seen it. And it just make, it gives a lot of rewatchability for the show. And I... It shows that they already had five years with Breaking Bad to kind of perfect mm-hmm. the style because it, it definitely runs with what they learned in Breaking Bad. Like the earlier episodes of Breaking Bad weren't nearly as good as the later ones. Mm-hmm. And Better Call Saul just continually improved off of that. Now people can say it felt slower, that it's not as engaging as Breaking Bad was, but I felt like every they were building – it's like t- doing a mat or taking a mathematics course you have to build up the blocks slowly but surely you get to the higher and higher levels well better call Saul you have to establish the characters you have to set up the events so you eventually will have those tense moments those great episodes that we remember 
Breaking Bad had the same thing mm-hmm. in many respects. It's not like every episode was a banger that's like, holy shit, what the hell did I just watch? That had to build it up. It was just good writing. The, I think the only difference between Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul is, uh, you know, in Better Call Saul, we see his uh, <laughs> schemes. Like every mm-hmm. episode has something or the other to do with his schemes. But Breaking Bad had more of a... Um, you know, a downward slope of Walt's character. Mm. You can see, like, from suffering to how he becomes a badass. So, I guess there's no small... Like, each episode in Breaking Bad was very important to the development of Walt's character. Mm. And, and it did not focus more on, like, the little, like, day-to-day incidents of Walt's life. Like, you know, I guess, like... Here it's more like each episode in Better Call Saul has to do with like a scheme that he's playing. Though there is an overarching uh, story of how his character is also evolving. All right, so I think I'll challenge you here. Okay. So I, I will definitely agree in Walt's story with Breaking Bad. It felt like the story itself was more grand. It didn't feel like it focused as much in the mundane. But maybe that was the intent with Better Call Saul. It's like maybe you don't need to go through these grand schemes, these grand moments that make you turn into this evil Heisenberg. Like with Jimmy, it starts off a lot of innocent schemes, but slowly they get worse and they get worse and worse and worse. To what we see now, it seems ridiculous. They're way over the top. He's involved with the cartel compared to the stuff when he's doing at the very beginning when he was just trying to get, what, $50, $100 from elderly Mm -hmm. people that – Maybe didn't get enough money from X, Y, or Z. It's like maybe the whole point of this is like every little thing that you do, every action you take kind of chips away at your moral core. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that these are insignificant. I feel like that they were strategically placed there to kind of build up to what we're seeing now or what we eventually see in Breaking Bad where he's just this callous mm-hmm. criminal lawyer. I mean, everyone's, I mean, we, he was kind of a joke in the show. You, you laugh, at, laugh at him, but I don't think a lot of people realize, like, how the hell did he become this? Mm-hmm. It started small. It started with this little scams in an alleyway with his buddy back in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And slowly but surely, he, he, upped his, he upped the ante. Oh, hi, Tommy. Saying hi. Um, that was my cat. I don't know. Like, how do you, how do you feel about my assessment there? Yeah, I mean, you know, each show has its own trajectory, right? The way it's, um, I guess, framed, where you see the characters developing. I think these little schemes for Jimmy is very important to show, you know, where he started as a as a file clerk for Hamlet and Hamlet, and how he becomes this. Um, Scummy lawyer. Scummy. Yeah, but also kind of good at it. Oh, yeah, he's a good lawyer, but he's very scummy. Like, yeah. every every ethical boundary there is, he pretty much just crosses but, it. But again, there's layers to his character as yeah. well. He pushes ethical boundaries, but he is also doing it for a good cause. Like, his intentions are at the right place. At least in this show. Yeah. I don't, I don't think as much so in Breaking Bad. But initially, yeah, definitely had a good side to him. It's like wondering where... I don't even know if we've seen yet what causes him to just kind of give up on the good side. Yep. Uh, 
But one one major difference I will say from Breaking Bad to Better Call Saul, which has been interesting, and a lot of YouTubers have talked about this as well. In Breaking Bad, we had no idea how the show was going to end. We just kind of saw, we started the journey with Walt, where he started. But in this, we were introduced to Jimmy, or I should say Gene, after the events of Breaking Bad. And we get introduced to a little more of that story mm-hmm. each and every season. So we're getting a little post-Breaking Bad story. So we know, or we're trying to figure out actually where he ends up after. But we know where he's going to end up by Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. So the cat's already out of the bag. We already know where Saul's going to end up. But then, ingeniously, they introduce some characters that we were never introduced at all to in Breaking Bad. Nobody you've heard the names of. Kim was never mentioned. True. She was never mentioned. We do not know what's going to happen to her. We don't know what's going to happen to Lalo and Nacho. We can guess, but we, there's no confirmation. Um, so they added enough in there to keep it interesting. Mm-hmm. Enough for twists, plot twists, and what have you. Yep. So yep. what did you think of the finale without giving spoilers? I'm excited to see the development for Kim, mm-hmm. <laughs> what she does, you know? Uh, she's been very straight, straight edged in the beginning of the uh, the series, and now you can slowly see how she's changing, uh, you know, to adapt with Jimmy's ways. And I think it's it's going to be very interesting to see her her story arc. Yeah, uh, just tying this in with Shit's Creek, we're talking about ego with characters. She's she's been very impressive, and I would love to watch some of the earlier episodes. But she's so confident in her own abilities that she finds she loves, or she puts it upon herself to overcome any and every situation that she's faced. Like she won't take no for an answer. She won't give up. She will find a way to get through it. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this time and time and time and time and time again with Kim. And it would be really interesting now that they gave her a little bit more of a backstory with her mother. Maybe by the end of her story arc, whenever that comes, maybe we'll find out that she wasn't as straight and narrow. Hey, thanks, Tommy. We're trying to record a podcast. That was my cat in the litter box. You're welcome. Um, where was I? Kim. If she wasn't nearly as straight and narrow... Is that we were as we were led on to believe maybe there's more complexity to her character that they cleverly placed throughout the previous seasons that after a revelation maybe in the last season like holy shit she's been kind of plotting her own things the whole while as well mm-hmm. I mean we're definitely seeing that now with Jimmy it's like it's taking Jimmy aback mm-hmm. I should say Saul um, like he's not he's not used to this person. He doesn't know this person the way she's embracing his dark side. Like she's just going all in. It's like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doing a little finger guns. Yeah. I don't know. Would you would you argue against the notion that she's the best female character, best written female character on TV right now? I mean, we don't watch much shows, but mm. One of the one of the best, I would say. Then who's better than her? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, each character has its own flair. No balls. I will. I will go out there and say she deserves an Emmy. 
it's it's a it's fucking criminal that she has not gotten an Emmy yet. She doesn't get an Emmy after this season. I, I the whole institution's a joke. Like, come on, come on. No, she doesn't have the the all the dramatic moments where she's screaming and doing the typical uh, Oscar-winning uh, speeches like Leonardo DiCaprio or whatnot or Al Pacino, where they kind of captivate the audience, but. All of her little expressions, all of her mannerisms, how she draws out dialogue, that's all her. That's not the director. They can't tell her how to do all that. That's her digesting the script and putting that back out on screen. Mm-hmm. That's in the league. I would I would go as far as to say as like Anthony Hopkins when you watch how he would do his little dialogue in Westworld mm-hmm. or even uh, his as Hannibal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the little nuances that maybe doesn't capture the the awards, but uh, anyone that's really di- or dissecting the the film or the TV uh, can truly appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you actually have to rewatch it a couple of times to even catch those minute expressions. Mm-hmm. Just I don't know. Just if you haven't watched Better Call Saul, please do yourself a favor, watch the fucking show. Watch the fucking show. Watch the fucking show. It's still on, by the way. It's almost unanimous for people to say either it's like what The Sopranos, The Wire, or Breaking Bad are the best TV shows on ever. Better Call Saul is still running. Watch it while it's still around. Appreciate it. Give give credit to the, the show creators and the actors. Yeah. Do them a favor. Watch the show. The, the greatest thing is that there's no glamour added to it it's so real and so rooted in in just this regular life yet there's just all these bizarre things going on like the cartel and mm-hmm. the whole drug problem and the gangs and oh it's amazing yeah i'll just uh last bit about better call saul one thing it's not spoiled plot related but i love the interaction between saul or jimmy and kim when they were kind of navigating the whole notion of how your actions kind of determine where you're going i don't remember the quote exactly but he was trying to criticize her for jumping the gun with her job and then she's looking at him it's like pretty much how dare you you decided to become Saul Goodman. That was your legal name now. Like, how dare you? You've made your decisions in life. You've made all these shitty decisions. How dare you judge me on what I decide to do? It's like all these little decisions kind of shape who we eventually become. Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts. I don't want to get into spoilers because it was definitely some good content this mm-hmm. season. By far the best season so far. But it wouldn't be the best season if you didn't have the first four. True. So you got to watch all of it. True. Uh, yeah. So uh, do you have any thoughts, overarching thoughts from last week? The last couple episodes were just mind-blowing. And I'm not, not t- just... I'm not, not talking t- about Better Call Saul. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but anyways, talking about Better Call Saul, <sighs> the last couple episodes were mind-blowing. And just not... Um, not just plot-wise, but also cinematography-wise as oh, well. Yeah. Oh. So, 
I think you guys should do yourself a favor and watch the show. God, that desert episode could have been a small movie, a yeah. short film. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, for sure. It's like, a, what do you call those plays? It's like a two or one act play when you only have like two or three uh, actors on stage. One act play, yeah. yeah. It, it pretty much felt like a one act play yeah. between those two. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Yeah. Well, speaking of last couple weeks, it's been strange right because we've been adapting to a new norm um certain things have been imposed on us certain things we're doing voluntarily uh so it, it has been a weird phase where you're trying to be flexible you're trying to be adjusting and yet you want to do something more you know and i mean the covid-19 has definitely uh changed uh, changed the way people think mm-hmm. and perceive life yeah it feels like post 9/11 without the patriotism mhm it's like you have similar levels of restrictions i mean i Post 9-11, there's a lot of changes policy-wise from TSA to more surveillance and whatnot, but at least there was camaraderie amongst the people that we had a common enemy. But now it's like it pretty much just inflamed the traditional political fault lines. Mm-hmm. And you got people that are on Trump's side. They're like, fuck all these new regulations. We want to go to the beach and party, even though you're going to probably kill yourself or kill those around you. And then you have people on the other side calling them a bunch of idiots for doing this. Why aren't you staying home? Yeah. It's like there's not a nice unified effort to fight this off. Well, you know, there are a couple things to keep in mind. If you shut down an economy and people don't have jobs, the first thing, especially in rural areas where you're not seeing the numbers rise and you're not seeing... Uh, people being infected as much you know they would be wondering that maybe this is a hoax maybe the numbers are not correct they're not reflecting correctly on the current status and we are just being forced to stay home because Uh, of the cities because of the cities and it is a different scene at in the cities for sure Mm -hmm. Uh, so you know i think it was handled in a very uh, ham-fisted way yeah, I mean, a very partial way, I think. You know, people were, the, the agencies were very partial in handling stuff. The restrictions they put on cities uh, should not have been put on the rural areas. But again, you have the other, other thing is that, you know, if there weren't too many restrictions put in the rural areas, you know, s- people from the cities would flood out to these places and infections would rise again. Yeah. It's... Like, I'm torn. I'm torn on this issue because on one end, I do believe the science that this is a highly contagious pathogen that uh, a lot of people will end up getting affected. We should take it seriously, definitely. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from that. But something kind of irks me when I see rich celebrities telling poor people to stay home even though a lot of these poor people maybe just want to go to work so they can buy food pay the bills and you have people like Cuomo yelling at them berating them saying that 
you have a stimulus check. When, like, you can attest to this, you know people that applied for, or I shouldn't say applied for the stimulus check, but even unemployment, they haven't gotten any money. Mm-mm. What are you going to tell a poor person who doesn't have any savings to just stop working? Yeah. And then to berate them after the fact. So, there's the thing. Like, they had put in restrictions without thinking about the consequences. Mm-hmm. You know? They, you had to think about the consequences first before you put restrictions on. Because if you didn't have an answer to these questions, you know, be prepared to to hear protests going on at places. Yeah. Be prepared to face a lot of pushback from people. This is going to happen. You, you know, before shutting down everything... You should have thought people would not have enough savings to go through months because probably initially, you know, they thought that, oh, this is not going to last six months. That's just going to last for a month and we'll be okay. Mm-hmm. But now they are seeing it stretching out. You know, when, when did we start? March. And now, I mean, we were hearing whispers of it in January. Right. And, and it was, it's, yeah. So it's almost going to be six months next, next month. Right. Yeah. So, you know, they should have, really really thought about the consequences before putting all those restrictions like i've i've heard reports that scientists were warning government officials since like 2003 about coronavirus obviously not this particular strain but i think the scientists were well aware of this being a potential for disaster Mm -hmm. and yet government did nothing for 17 years Virtually nothing on this front. I, this isn't the first time I've heard risk of like biological warfare or pandemics or threat of pandemics. And we never, we didn't really have a pandemic preparation team or plan in place for a contingency plan in place for an event like this. Are you kidding? I'm sure we'll have one after this. But given in the year, you'd think they would have had something in place or getting fucking trillions of dollars every year in federal money. Mm-hmm. I think they would have had something. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, and you wonder, people wonder why, or Democrats wonder why all these rural areas have reacted in the way that they have. It's like they've been just seeing their areas just torn apart for decades and factories leaving. They hear all these promises election after election and nothing changes. They're Locales decay, old buildings decay, people are moving away. And now you're telling them to stop working outright, stop earning a living, and you're not giving them any financial relief. Yeah. Hey, it's like if there's anything we learned from Breaking Bad, no half measures. If you're going to do this, do the whole fucking thing. Don't just tell people to stay home. They're like, oh, we'll send you money in about a month. Yeah, people have immediate needs. I think the smarter thing might have been just to, in the hot zones, definitely do a full-on quarantine, but then implement maybe strict social distancing in the rest of the parts of the country. Obviously, cancel festivals and any large gatherings. As far as small businesses and shit, I don't... I mean, they could have taken precautions. They could have got fucking Clorox wipes and shit. I mean... But But the tragedy is... We weren't we weren't even prepared no. for how much we needed. 
you know, mm-hmm. we are dependent on China for all these supplies. And once the There's borders the locked down, yeah. you know, I, I can attest for this. Like we have gone around and searched for all these, uh, you know, sanitizing uh, products and yeah. we couldn't find anything. That's another element of this crisis that I think is kind of going under address, but it's the overreaction by the average citizens and how they hoard fucking toilet paper was a big one didn't make any sense but just as a citizen of any country not just the u.s but any country it's like when there's a time of crisis we can't panic when you're in school and you're doing a fire drill i don't mm-hmm. know if you did this in india nope the first thing is you fucking line up you don't panic you don't storm out of the school you line up and we get out together if you panic you fuck everything up you're probably gonna leave someone behind someone's gonna get hurt same thing with toilet paper same with meat supplies and re- or markets, any food supplies. You're just hurting everyone else because mm-hmm. you're disrupting the supply. Yep. It's unnecessary. Selfish. It's, I don't know. Yep. Well, I think we will be emerging from this whole crisis with new ways of living and new ideas of how we can adapt. Um uh, you just have to take this as a learning experience and the government has to you know understand that they are not all powerful they can make the right decisions all the time and people have to understand that you know they mm-hmm. are people too these are regular people just like us they are not mm-hmm. superhuman beings that always make the correct decisions you're often very reactive like mm-hmm. we are absolutely so yeah they're not going to be proactive and plan for this mm-hmm. as well as they should they're probably yeah. more interested. So mo- most people, you know, most of us are like, we no- we normally don't think about crisis. You know, we are always thinking about like, oh, everything's going to be fine. But if you are a realist, you have to kind of take into account that there will be things that go wrong. Mm-hmm. There will be worse things happening to you in the future, in the near future. And you have to be prepared for that and how you react to that situation. Yeah, best case scenario, that's what government should be doing. That's what they should be there for, especially the federal government. Because, well, they can, they're supposed to be able to see the entire picture. Locally, globally, what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I really don't have much else to say about the pandemic. I'm sure people are tired of hearing about it. That's all that's reported on the news every single day. In other news, I saw Kim Jong-un magically reappeared. He did? Yeah. He reappeared at some factory in North Korea as shots were being fired from South Korea to North Korea or vice in versa. In a factory? There was an image of him in the factory. And apparently there was a... In the image, you could see a scar like along his wrist. And people were presuming that was probably some from like a heart surgery or they had to, some of the veins. Mm. I don't know much about... But I thought he was in a vegetative state. Information coming out of North Korea is so sketchy. I don't even know if I'd believe the photos. Maybe it's like a dummy or maybe it's, you know. I was saying it might have been a doppelganger. That's why he had the scars. Well, I would not honestly trust anything that comes out of that country. For all we know, it could be an old photo, too. Unless we're actually seeing footage. And then it's a little more viable. I don't know. He's still alive, so his sister, I guess, can't take power yet. Yeah. Unless he has another heart attack. 
don't know. So uh, we kind of skipped over this, but uh, any particular thoughts that you had from last week, not pertaining to Better Call Saul? Anything mm. you want to talk about? It's kind of stewing. Nothing. Well, one thing is like kind of annoys me a lot is you being on Facebook typing away, writing these long essays Shots as fired. college as college papers. Shots fired. What do you mean? Yeah, it's like, you know, we've heard of Twitter warriors. You're like the only sole Facebook warrior out there who's writing away, typing away. Fighting this war. Saving the world one post at a time on Facebook. Do you know what my intentions are with these posts? To educate people, to engage people in dialogue. I'd say engage. I don't wanna I don't wanna be condescending with Oh, educate. you are condescending sometimes. When? Uh sometimes. Like when? Like sometimes. Alright, David. Like when? <laughs> like when? Sometimes. I try not to be. Well, that's a, that was kind of what I wanted to talk about anyways from last week. Uh, I've had to shift, though I'm still very active on Facebook with my posts that you ever so hate. <laughs> um, I've tried to shift a little bit from just the ticky-tack cultural issue stuff that everyone gets fired up about. and I try to have longer, thoughtful posts about things. That only five people read. That maybe... I. I will say more people read it than comment or like it because there are times where late in later posts, they'll say something, oh, I really like reading your posts. So you have the people online like your mother who don't interact with anything on Facebook. Or like me. Or like you. So you probably read my posts, so I'll add plus one on every one of my posts <laughs> just because of that alone. But one, one thing I've found, at least the way I've been trying to engage it, not just from a strictly – Democratic perspective or Republicans perspective, but uh, just issue by issue, I have found somewhat bipartisan uh, support for some of these issues, whether it's talking about health care, if we're talking about military intervention abroad. Or, um, it's been somewhat useful. I don't, I mean, I don't think it's going to change the election or anything, but yeah, I definitely don't engage too much with the. Twitter warrior style stuff. I, I don't even like Twitter. People are just nasty as fuck on there. You can't have an actual discussion about anything without having a quip. It's like, oh, fuck you. Clap, clap, clap. Clap. You, you stupid fuck hoe. You. You, you a stupid hoe. Take that bitch. Trump is a asshole. I can't do that. It's Trump like, is, is a piece of shit. Run. A moron. Yeah. <laughs> Just last bit that I wanted to talk about. And we watched the video from Wisecrack. They were analyzing Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind. And it's pretty much the theme of the show. And it fits in nicely with everything we've talked about up to this point. Flexibility versus plasticity. In short, flex er, flexibility is... What flexibility, though? This is what I'm going to talk about. It is neural flexibility. Neural, yes. Yes, we adapt. We adapt to the circumstances that were presented. We don't want to change them. Plasticity is more we want to change the circumstances. Mm -hmm. uh, in a broader perspective, we can talk about economic systems in which, uh, say, an example of 
your boss coming and asking you to work extra nights at work, you know? And so somebody that's flexible, well, like, all right, well, I'll have a couple more Red Bulls. I'll, I'll work, I'll crank this out because that's what I need to do to survive in this economy. Someone that's more plastic would take that. So, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come in and do these extra hours. I'm gonna find another job. I'm gonna find what fills this right here, my heart. Beyond I thought it's your stomach. My stomach's down here. I thought you were poking your stomach because that's, that's what chest. needs to be filled too. Yeah. I don't know what. Can you speak to what you saw in the the video, on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you actually just look at the terms, flexibility and plasticity, it's think about it literally, right? Flexibility is being flexible enough to being malleable enough to uh, go through different uh, circumstances or uh, conditions surrounding you. And plasticity is uh, changing shape or form uh, to overcome, you know, set conditions. I'm talking scientifically completely, right? So, um, being flexible is instead of trying to change the circumstances around you, you're just trying to change yourself to better fit to whatever has been presented to you. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And then plasticity is instead of changing yourself and uh, compromising on your core values, you're trying to change the surroundings and the circumstances to fit to your system of um, operation. Yeah. I love the image that they had of this where you had two paths. If you're flexible, you're going to take the path of least resistance every single time. But then the other path has a boulder. So if you're very plastic, you're just going to blow the boulder up and go that route instead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Pretty much in a nutshell. And typically people that are more in the plastic realm, the plasticity realm, people look at them and question their decision making. They think that they're being irrational. This isn't a smart decision. What about your pension? What about your savings? What about your long-term future? Like, you need to be able to retire. Like, this person be like, I'm going to live life. I'm going to carve out life that fits me. And you know what? You need both people in society, mm-hmm. you know, because if you don't have the flex- flexible people, then you won't have certain systems in place. If everyone thought, like, we are going to change our surroundings to suit our needs, that would have been really difficult too. But you need both kinds to balance it out. My thing is like instead of questioning or uh, criticizing the other, it's just having that compassion to understand why they are taking those decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think even as individuals, we can, we should be able to veer from one end to the other. We don't have to be in... We don't have to look at every single situation like, I'm going to change this to conform to what I want. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we can be flexible. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you should be a little more plastic. And I I mean, I I think the world would be a better place if we all had a little more of a capacity for both those ends. Yeah. Instead of just accepting the status quo for what it is, sometimes you do need to be able to speak out and say something. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Uh, we know a couple people who are very uh, prone to plasticity. Yeah. 
What, what would you call yourself? Flexible or plastic? I would... All right, this is the cowardly answer. I would say I, I think I'm a good bit mix. Bit of both? Yeah, I think I'm definitely a bit of both. It's not always that I look at every situation and it's like, oh, this is per- what, exactly what I want. But I, I learn to adapt. But I also know that I have the means and the capability to kind of shape what I also want. Um, One thing I've always told my dad, who is highly flexible, <laughs> he's someone uh, who is just flexible. To a fault. Yeah. To a fault. And I've always told him that, you know, I believe in my abilities. I completely believe that I can always find something or the other to work for myself. There will always be some sort of opportunity that I can land wherever in this world. It doesn't matter where I am, but I should be able to get something. Unless you're in Saudi Arabia. I agree. I agree. Or it's North f- Korea. I don't know. Or North Korea. It's like both of us come from drastically different cultures. But it seems like both cultures have a similar sentiment where it just kind of kills your dreams. Like in India, it's always what will people say? Or you need to think about, I, I don't know how they talk about job security, but there's a huge penchant to like, hey, go into engineering, go into like sciences or something. You need get to a government job. Get a government you get job. A, you'll get a pension at the end of it. That's and... something that definitely exists in my culture as well with the pensions and government jobs. And um, Yeah, I, I don't know. When I, as a kid, I would say I was solidly in the flexible camp. Now that I'm what, 28, when I'm 29, I think I'm far more in the plastic camp. Like I have no, I have no reservations to take any situation I'm in and find a way to benefit myself with that situation. Maybe that sounds manipulative, but I've learned that jobs don't give a fuck about you. Doesn't matter how much they say that they give a fuck about you, they don't care. And I have no qualms telling my coworkers that at times, like they don't. Are those gunshots? We just capture that live on audio. What the fuck was that? It might have been fireworks too. Why? If I hear more, I'll call the cops. What the fuck? This might be this might be evidence for the police if they need. (laughs) Why would there be fireworks? See, that was a very plastic behavior. That was they had a problem and they were creating a solution. I hear the ambulance or the police car. I don't know something. I guess if we pick that up, well, uh, we should probably wrap this episode up. Ah, <laughs> uh, God, how do you how do you react to gunshot fire? Do you are, should you be flexible or should you be plastic? Go. You have to be flexible. You have to run. You have to <laughs> take advantage of the situation and just just go away from that place. You're not gonna turn to the shooter and tell them like to stop. Sh- yeah, that's like Bollywood for you. <laughs> No, life is not Bollywood. Thank you. You're going to be like Rajni Khan and just like grab the bullet midair and yeah, throw like, it back sh- at him. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> blow some air. There goes the bullet. <laughs> Chuck Norris. All oh. right. I think, speaking of which, let us conclude. Wrap it up. This is what, episode five, zero, zero, five. Zero, zero, five. Hey, are we going to celebrate the zero, zero, seven episode with, 007. Uh, with a martini? We should actually, we should watch a bunch of 007 movies before that episode. Well, let's do it. We will, we will talk about James Bond movies on our zero, zero, seven 
episode. All right. Yeah, I don't want to just talk about it from like a review standpoint. Oh, no, no. Bring no. up some random shit that we noticed. Of course. We'll give it our twist. Yeah. Shaken or stirred? So actually, I, I got to find out that if you uh, shake it, it's not as good as stirred. Then why did Baden want it always shaken? It's stupid. I don't know. I'll find that out. We'll find the correct answer to that in the 007 episode. You skipped a couple notes. Um, well, that concludes another episode of the Simba Dialogues. Thank you for tuning in. This has been your host, Daryl. And this is Okanyo. And until next week, bye-bye. Sayonara.